Hey everyone, it is fall, which means it's National Novel Writing Month season, aka NaNoWriMo. And if you don't know about NaNoWriMo, it is a challenge to write 50,000 words of your story in the month of November. That's 30 days. And we believe that a goal and a deadline is a creative midwife. And here are two things to think about in order to encourage you to sign up for NaNoWriMo. One, it's kind of like a writing boot camp. It trains you to be the writer by having you show up every day to write and to reach for a goal. But then it's also a rollicking writing community. We have a thousand volunteers around the world who organize in-person writing events, and we're basically everywhere on the internet. It's a galvanizing force to feel that the whole world is writing with you, and it's free. So all you have to do is go to nanorimo.org and sign up. It's like signing up for any social media profile. And then get ready to write on November 1st. I'll see you there. Welcome spelunkers, space travelers, dowsers, world builders, romancers, thieves, novelists, and all kinds of storytellers. I am Grant Faulkner, Executive Director of National Novel Writing Month, a.k.a. NaNoWriMo, and it just happens to be National Novel Writing Month season, so we're focusing on getting ready for this massive, intimidating, wonderful, magical, high-octane marathon of writing. And I'm here with Brooke Warner, who did NaNoWriMo last year, I believe, and, and perhaps that's a good place to start, Brooke. You know, people have... Uh, so many different experiences with NaNoWriMo and people who haven't done it have many different opinions about NaNoWriMo and its value. So I'm, I'm curious if you could tell us a bit about your experience, what worked for you, what did you find challenging, what was fun, and what didn't work, assuming that something didn't work in this perfection of an event. <laughs> You know, last year was great for me because I started my memoir and I am a person who tackled NaNoWriMo with, you know, not needing absolutely to do the 50,000 words. And I certainly didn't. Uh, it was the second time I did NaNoWriMo. The first time was in 2018 and I was finishing my last book. I think I actually wrote more words that time. But what works for me in general about NaNoWriMo is knowing other people are out there writing. It's just that knowledge. It's like a pulse or a drumbeat, right? And uh, it's like everyone is going through what you're going through. And I love that I can share about it on social media and know that I'm going to get a ton of support and other people sharing their experiences of their successes and their word counts. And for me, it feels like a kind of hive mind in a way, um, if that makes sense, because there's all these souls out there doing the same thing that you're doing it. And, and and you really do feel it energetically. There's magic in that sensation. It's totally intangible, but it's felt. So that's my experience. I'm wondering if that mirrors yours, Grant, or you know how else you would characterize it. Yeah, I like your analogy to to a hive mind because the world can can very much feel like we've you know transformed into a hive of storytellers, and it's it's fascinating to me because I often hear how much people are galvanized just just by this feeling of the world writing with them to the extent that it can be um, you know even more challenging to write in the other months without the without the hive of storytellers with you. And and one thing I want to focus on today is is one of NaNoWriMo's central themes and benefits, I think, is that the best way to learn to write a novel is to just sit down and write one. You know, you don't you don't have to get a degree in writing. You don't have to take any classes. You don't have to read any how-to books. These are all great things. I've done them all. Uh, but in the end, I've learned the most about novel writing simply by doing it. And I say that because writing a novel is is such a unique experience. You know, it's it's like running a marathon. 
It's like climbing a mountain. Uh, but I think you could read any number of books about climbing Mount Everest and you could learn climbing techniques and you could imagine yourself climbing the mountain by reading about the experiences of others. But you wouldn't really know how to climb Mount Everest because there's something in the enormity of climbing Mount Everest that can't be told. It has to be experienced. And and that's the way I feel about writing a novel, you know, to sit down and write even just a, a first draft, let alone a whole revision is a singular experience full of highs and lows that can't be, you know, this can't really be described, you know, again, you have to experience it. And I know, I know you're still writing that memoir you started last November, Brooke, and you've even started a Zoom accountability group, which is one thing that is also a crucial part of NaNoWriMo, you know, to, to write with others for creative collaboration, but also just to keep showing up and writing the words. So I'm curious to hear what you're learning about writing a memoir simply by doing it. Yeah, I mean, you're touching into something so important, Grant, because it's so much more than I even imagined. I thought I would be humbled by writing my memoir. Uh, what I didn't imagine was just how much I would need to build my own craft muscles um, and just like emotional stamina. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I read so much memoir, I edit so much memoir, I listen to memoir. And so I feel confident in some ways about what I can achieve on this front. And I want the words to shine, um, you know, and some of how good I want it to be is going to have to happen in revision. So I do, of course, keep reminding myself to give myself grace on that front because it's a long process. It's, I know it's a multi-layered process. And I did not have that same kind of struggle with my other books because they were more prescriptive. Uh, I got an editor who cleaned up my words. And so my first attempts were actually not that far off from what ended up being my final words. You know, I might've gone through like a revision and then like some good edits. And that's pretty much it. With memoir, you know, I think a lot like fiction, you got to keep combing and combing and combing. And that's been the biggest learning curve or, you know, maybe point of acceptance is a better way of framing it. I, I don't know what I thought, but I guess I thought I would be faster. Uh, and I think I thought that my stuff would come out more as I imagined it in my mind, <laughs> you know, like just more polished than it actually is. Yeah. I always expect my first draft to come out more polished than it is. And I think it's funny how there's always a chasm between the novel in your mind and the novel that comes out on the page and the work you have to do to, to narrow that chasm. And, and that is one of the things that can't be taught. You have to live it and breathe it and experience it. And when you write a novel, you learn so much about writing, and you, but you also learn so much about yourself. And, and, and this goes for anyone at any stage of their career, but especially, I think, for first-time novelists. Uh, I began by writing short stories before I wrote novels, and that seemed like a pretty good training ground. But I didn't, but I didn't realize, you know, really how to put together this larger narrative trajectory. And I didn't know about things like pacing, or even really about breaking things into chapters. And I remember hitting a lot of dead ends uh, early on in my first novel, and, and realizing the need to explore characters and better understand their situation and motives and, and plan a bit because I, I definitely pantsed my first novel entirely. Nothing against pantsing, but it would have helped <laughs> me to plan a little bit and know a little bit more about my story because I literally just got an idea and jumped in. And I also remember learning you know, some of the more important lessons that I needed to learn, which are the, you know, the lessons of grit and stamina and the, you know, that challenge of believing in your story, it can't be emphasized enough. You know, you've got to believe in it on day one and day 100 and maybe day 1000. And I didn't really understand the emotional components of writing a novel. You know, I was, I was dedicated to finishing that novel. So I kept showing up for it, but I didn't realize how long it would take and just how much endurance it would take and a lot of different types of endurance. And also, you know, is the crises of confidence that you have and, and how I couldn't have anticipated how 
the lack of belief in my story would affect my writing. You know, I worked, I worked hard on it. And in fact, I gave it several years, but I don't think I ever quite believed in it 100%. And now that I look back on that novel after all these years, I wonder why not, you know, it actually seems like a pretty good idea to me. And I wish I would have believed in it more because I think that would have shown in the words in the page, but this is the lesson. I now know how every novel will likely spark a crisis of confidence. I now know how important it is to address this and how, my experience of writing it will be more fun and more meaningful the more that I do believe in it. So, you know, on that subject of crisis of confidence or belief in your story uh, while writing, have you experienced that with your memoir? Yes. (laughs) Hands down. Yes. I mean, lots of crises of confidence with this particular book, I think in part because of what's been going on with me since last November. Um, I started, as I said, almost a year ago, I was doing really well in November, December, January, and even into February, I was writing every day, uh, 2000, not every day, sorry, every week, (laughs) 2000 words a week, I think I was uh, pulling in like two writing sessions a week. And I was consistent. Um, But then my dad got sick. And then I went through a breakup. And then not that much longer later, uh, I got back together with my ex. So there's a lot of an emotional swirl there. And then my dad died in May. Uh, so all of that was like March to May, this very compressed situation going on uh, and the aftermath of dying, which is a lot of work, as people know, who've gone through it. And I stopped, you know, I stopped writing. And then in the stopping, the crisis of confidence crept in. And partly that was malaise, you know, understandably, grief played a big role in all of that. And it did feel very existential. Um, but I started questioning my capacity to do the book. I started questioning why I was writing it. Lost will do weird things to your brain for sure. You know, and then I had moments of just feeling like any creativity that I had fell through the trap door. And I was kind of standing there alone in an abyss and like I may never ever feel a creative spark again. <laughs> so that was a big crisis of confidence, you know, and I, it was, but it was more than that. Like it felt like a crisis of creativity. Uh, and so I felt a lot of stuff during those months, you know, down on myself, scared, despairing. Definitely just feel like I went through the ringer. Uh, finally, though, sometime around late July and early August, uh, a shift started. And actually, it did turn out to be my Alcatraz swim that turned things around. Uh, I think just having done it, I mean, training for it, doing it, and then accomplishing it, uh, that experience of Alcatraz actually inspired my accountability group uh, because I realized that I couldn't have done Alcatraz without the people I had supporting me. And so I had hired an accountability coach, uh, my friend, and she writes press author Christy Warren, who is a memoirist herself of the amazing book uh, called Flashpoint about being a firefighter and the experience of PTSD from her years of doing that work. She helped me and I do want to put a plug out for her book uh, as hopefully one small way to repay her for the help she gave me during the swim. Again, her book is Flashpoint. Uh, and, you know, just having that accountability was huge. I don't think I could have done it without it. And so, like I said, that was like the spark in my mind. Okay, if that's what I needed accountability to do the swim, then that's what I need for the writing as well. And, um, you know, ever since then, I've I've been feeling more confident and pulling out of it. So all of that sucked, needless to say, the hard part. But I also learned that the only way out was through important lesson for many things including writing a novel yes and thanks for sharing all that because it it sounds like you could actually write a memoir about writing a memoir and (laughs) all of us can right yeah (laughs) yeah 
Yeah. And that's one of the things about writing a novel or climbing Mount Everest or running a marathon or doing the Alcatraz swim is that you learn something about yourself that you didn't previously know. And this might be the best reason to do it. In fact, I think this is, is what is so interesting about writing a novel. You know, you, you exit on the other side, a different person than, than you were when you entered the novel. And, and again, this is one of those things that just cannot be taught. And while we're talking about things like climbing Mount Everest or running a marathon, Brooke, I want to hear more about your swim to Alcatraz, known to some as Shark Fest. Very appealing, inviting name, <laughs> warm and fuzzy. It's so fascinating that the swim is so intricately tied to your resurfacing with your book. And that's not a surprise to me. And there are clearly some lessons to be gleaned here. I'd love to hear more about the swim, especially as it pertains to learning to do something big just by doing it. Thank you for asking. And you're right. I mean, that experience, I, I didn't know, you know, it's not like I connected the swim to my writing experience, but it turned out to be very profoundly connected. Uh, the swim shark fest was a big deal for me because I didn't previously consider myself a swimmer and I almost backed out. Uh, the event started sending semi-threatening emails back in June, letting us know that if we couldn't swim a mile in 40 minutes, that we shouldn't bother coming. Uh, and I was not there. I wasn't sure if I could do a 40 minute mile. Uh, and so that was when I hired the coach and that's when I started swimming with Christy. And I also had not actually open water swam. <laughs> so that was another thing, like talk about needing to do it. Right. So the first time I went out in the bay, I had a good experience. And that of course was my realization. Yes, I can actually do this. You know, so when we're talking about learning something by doing it, there you have it. I mean, I could talk about the swim. I could swim in the pool. I could be working toward a 40 minute mile, but it was getting out in the open water that made me understand in my body. Yes, I can do this. And that is how we build confidence, of course. Right. And we can do that through the process of writing. Uh, and it's a game changer, right? So um, the other thing I want to say is just the, again, with the accountability, I mean, I feel like I'm kind of harping on this one, but it's such a big deal. I mean, I needed the accountability of the coach and Christy and my other friend, Brett, who did the swim with me. Um, you know, I, I had the desire to do it, but it's like, I needed the deadline. <laughs> I needed the other people there to sort of cheer me along and be like, we've got this together. And it's a big deal to set a goal for yourself. Um, but then of course you still have to see through the everyday process of doing it. And the only people or person rather who stands in the way of you getting done, what you want to do is you, we all know that. Uh, so I guess it was like seeing I could do shark fest made me see how I could replicate some of that stuff with my writing and it's working. I'm writing again. So yay for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love hearing this. Um, I love the metaphor that you've got to get out in the water, the real water mm -hmm. in order to truly know that you can do this. Um, and I have to say that the, the stories that touch me the most that come out of NaNoWriMo are similar to this. You know, there's stories about how people changed because they did something big. They did something beyond what they thought they could do. And that changed uh, how they approached all of life. So it's not just about novel writing. And with that, Kavian has some great stories on this subject as well. So I can't wait to hear from her right after we return from this short break. Welcome back, everybody. I'm excited to welcome Kavian Lewis, who is a young adult author of all things escapist and high octane. She has published a very thrilling and high octane novel. Thieves Gambit. She's a former youth services librarian, and she's been working with young readers and kidlets since she was 16. 
When she's not writing, she's breaking out of escape rooms, jumping out of airplanes, and occasionally running away to mountain retreats to study Kung Fu. So she, uh, yeah, she can put adventure into her prose from real life experiences. Uh, And though she's originally from Louisiana and often visits her family in the Bahamas, these days you can find her in New York, at least until she takes off on her next adventure. Welcome, Kavian. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I love talking about not just my books, but also writing in general. So super happy to be here. Cool. Well, we're going to do a lot of talking about writing in general because this is NaNoWriMo season. And Brooke and I have been talking about how one learns to write a novel. And I have this theory that the best way to learn to write a novel is actually just to sit down and write it. Uh, but, I'm, but I'm curious to have that tested. And I was wondering if you could tell us how you learned to write a novel and if it was, in fact, by writing one. And, and I asked this knowing that this is your debut novel, but that one's debut novel is rarely their first published novel. So maybe you wrote novels before Thieves' Gambit. Yeah, I wouldn't even say that writing a novel is the best is a, is a theory in saying that that's the best way to learn to write a novel. I just think that's a fact, at least in my experience. Thieves Gambit, although it's my first big book coming out, is actually the tenth book that I ever wrote. So it was definitely a lot of trial and error and learning in my rear view, and which with every book that I wrote, I was learning a little bit more about plot structure, a little bit more about characters and getting a little bit more efficient and understanding the easiest way for me to put together a story. So definitely 100% agree that actually doing it is, in my opinion, like the only way to really learn how to do this. Well, Kevin, let's talk a little bit about NaNoWriMo. As Grant said, we're in NaNoWriMo season and we're encouraging our listeners who don't do it to do it and those who already do it are doing it um, or getting ready to do it. So what has been your experience of NaNoWriMo and are some of those 10 books that you're talking about started in NaNo and then whatever other tips you want to bring up that you think about for actually uh, tackling NaNoWriMo well? A couple of them were NaNoWriMo books. I actually, I ended up finishing Thieves Gambit in November um, of 2020, but I'd started it, um, I think the month before. So I could say Thieves Gambit is like half of a NaNo book, but I have books that I did completely finish during NaNoWriMo. I know it's only 50,000 words is the goal, but I like to be extra ambitious. Um, And so I have a couple of books that I did finish the entire thing in one month. I love NaNo because, of course, there's this whole community behind it of authors, you know, on Twitter and on YouTube, like cataloging or just recording their whole journey, writing these books within a month. Personally, the way that I always approach NaNo is I like to think of it on like a mathematical level where I would take, um, if I was going a little bit beyond like the 50,000 word goal, I would take like how many words that I wanted to write in a month. Like I think this book is going to be 80,000 words and I would divide it up by those 30 or 31 days. How many days are in November? I can't even think of it now <laughs> 30. That I want in November. It's <laughs> just 30. <laughs> yeah. And I would divide it by that and be like, okay, well, I need to write like uh, 1,700 words a day. And then once I had like those words per day, I would break it down into even smaller portions where I would be like, okay, well, I need to write like three sessions of like 550 words or 600 words. And even within those sessions, I would sit down and be like, okay, well, this is session one, but I'm only going to work for 20 minutes and then take a break and then another 20 minutes. And then just the way that I approached, um, I still approach writing books like this, even outside of NaNo, but just breaking it down into like really small sections. So you're just working with like bite-sized bits to actually get up to like the word count goal and you're finishing your story. That's the easiest way for me to approach uh, actually getting the work done. If that makes sense. (laughs) Totally. Kavian. That's so interesting. I love hearing about people's NaNoWriMo experiences and strategies and, and, 
your novel is a heist story, so it has to have action and adventure. And you've also included some swoony romance. And I want to read this this uh, comment by Alex Astor, a number one New York Times bestselling author, who called the novel a propulsive, high-octane thriller that kept me guessing until the very end. And those are wonderful words that, that pique my interest. Yet as a writer, I know I would feel a lot of pressure to live up to that kind of action on the page. So, so I'm curious, how did you approach making sure the drama on the page had such a high pitch? And, and did it come in the first draft or was it, um, did it come more in revision when you were finding out that, you know, that kind of pacing and that narrative trajectory? I'd say when I first sat down to write the book, I wasn't going in with the goal of wanting to make this like super high octane. I want people to want to turn this into a movie. I just wanted to write the story that was in my heart and being the type of person, the type of adventurer, adrenaline seeker that I am, it makes sense that that's the story that is burning up inside of me, demanding to get out. So of course, when I was just sitting down, I was like, what do I want to write today? I was like, I want to write a, a, a chase scene through Switzerland. And that's just what came out on the page. I'd say definitely going into writing my sequel to Thieves Gambit, knowing that there are expectations now of maintaining um, like the sort of cinematic and uh, adventurous feel. That is a situation in which I've been in the same world, but having to kind of think, okay, well, I have to make sure this feels the same way as the first book. And so definitely was doing a lot more of focusing on that while writing the sequel and thinking, okay, does this make my heart pound? And does this kind of match up to like the previous book? I would definitely say that it's okay to like go into a book, not like having the like expectations like that, if that makes sense. Um, it's okay to just go into a book, like wanting to write whatever you want to write though. And if it comes out high octane and cinematic and adventurous, that's totally okay. But it's also okay to write and it comes out maybe a little bit plainer. And then you do go through your rounds of revision and that's when you can go in and spice things up too, because a lot of the, the more adventurous scenes uh, did come through revision through my process, or they were definitely sharpened through the process of revision. Well, Kavian, one of the things that we talk about on this show a lot is the role that emotional things like confidence and belief in your story play out on the page. And that, of course, goes doubly when you're writing a novel because it can take so long to finish one. So we're curious, uh, did you face any challenges on this more emotional level while writing this novel? Oh, definitely. <laughs> 100%. I think writers, we're also uh, attached to our work. And so we put so much of ourselves into it that it you have to be like inhuman <laughs> you know, and feel like um, in your feelings when you're working on your work. And especially when you're putting your work out there for other people to criticize and uh, even people who are wanting to cr give you constructive criticism, who want your work to be better. Um, you can still get, you know, feel a little iffy when people are telling you things about your work. So I think that uh, as you go through the process of writing more books, and especially once I got to Thieves Gambit, which I said is the 10th book that I'd written, you kind of build up a tolerance to um, accepting criticism of your work. And you kind of learn that you kind of have to have a wall between your work and yourself in a sense that uh, although your work is from you and it's a piece of you, you are not your work. And you have to remember that you who you are as a person is not um, reflected in like the quality of your work, but so, but it's, but it's okay to have, you know, feeling a little iffy sometimes about, Oh, well, this book isn't great. And I'm, I, I feel horrible today, but that's, that's fine. That's totally normal. Um, you just have to learn to persevere and push through it. And 
you can be the most amazing person ever, even if you just wrote a chapter that's not the most amazing chapter ever. <laughs> Encouraging. <laughs> Encouraging and true words. Yeah, definitely. You know, one one part of that emotional challenge of writing a novel is just about pure endurance. And I, th- I think, you know, there's many different types of endurance that's occurring to me because you, you said you'd written 10 different novels before this one, and that's endurance unto itself. Um, but for any particular novel, you, you have to show up and write and keep things moving. And it takes a, a lot of endurance just to write 50,000 words of a novel in a month. But as I said, it takes a whole different type of endurance to write a whole novel and see it through rounds of revisions and publishing. So I was wondering, you know, you obviously invite activities into your life that require, um, you know, endurance and, and exertion. So I was just curious how you, how if you can tell us how you developed the endurance to write a novel and how did you, essentially, how did you change as a writer from the first word to the last? Oh, how have I changed? Um, I'll, I'm going to skip that part and come and come back to it and say that okay. I... <laughs> I'm going I'm to remind you, though. Okay, of course. <laughs> uh, as for building the endurance thing, I think, of course, it is something that comes with practice. The more you do it, it's like, you know, learning to run a marathon. Like once you, you start training for it and you build up your endurance and when you actually are running it, hopefully you're, you know, you, you're better than your first day of training. I think I mentioned earlier that my technique for writing is I'm all about breaking it down into smaller segments one of my favorite expressions my mom always says is how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And <laughs> I kid you not, I think that almost every time that I sit down to write and sometimes I'll say it out loud if nobody is, is around me. It's 50,000 words. It's a book. It's a big thing, but it's also just a collection of paragraphs. And those paragraphs are just collection of sentences. And those sentences are just collection of words. So just inch by inch, eventually consistent work will always get you where you need to go. You're writing a book, but right now, I'm just writing a sentence and remembering that will always, it always, that's how I get from like the first word to the end. As for how I have changed as a writer from the first sentence to Thieves Gambit that's coming out, I'd like to say that I actually think I've kind of made a circle personally. Mm. Um, my first book that I ever wrote was an adventure. It was a young adult adventure. Uh, and it was the first story that came out that just came out of me. Uh, and Thieves Gambit is also a young adult adventure, but all of the books in between were actually not young adult adventures. And they were completely different stories in which I was like, okay, the first book that I wrote, nobody wanted it. And maybe they didn't want it because nobody wants this type of story that I want to tell. So mm. I spent a lot of time in a lot of books writing stories that I thought people wanted to read, but not the story that I wanted to write. And I think I learned a lot and I improved and changed in a sense that I became a stronger writer. I learned a lot more about prose and I learned a lot more about character arcs and how to do one well and what works and what doesn't work. And I learned a lot more about, okay, like I didn't know as much about, oh, I work better in breaking up my writing segments at those points. Like I learned how to if more efficiently write a book, but I also appreciate the fact that the book that I finally came back to and accepted, I'm not going to write a book or a story for anybody else anymore. I just want to write the story that I want to write was the one that finally was the one that really hit. And because I had all of the more experience behind me and I knew how to better write a book at the end of the day, it was also me kind of coming back to my roots and back to the truest part of myself that didn't change throughout this process. So I think I kind of answered your question, but also chose not to. That was beautiful. That was a beautiful answer. (laughs) Good. Well, I wanted to ask about being a librarian uh, because of course, when you're a librarian, you think a lot about reading and you interact with readers as well. So how did that experience or that work inform your writing and your authorship? 
So being around uh, young readers every day, teenagers, was definitely helpful in maintaining the teenage voice. Um, also in kind of getting an idea of how teenagers have changed a little bit from when I was a teenager, I'm 24 now, so it wasn't like super long ago, but it, you know, still every, anytime there's like a new high school cycle, I like to think there's completely different teenagers out there and being able to interact with teens every day helped you kind of maintain, like, what are the issues that are universal? What are teenagers still thinking about like, you know, six or seven years later, things with their parents, relationships with their parents, teenagers are always thinking about that relationships with friends. Why don't I have any friends and kind of being able to pinpoint those universal things and be like, okay, these are things that are still relevant that I would love to incorporate in my story. Also being around books and seeing new YA books come in and being the person to not just catalog them and put them on shelves, but recommend them to young readers and read them myself kind of always keeps you up to date with the industry and be like, oh, what's popular right now? What's cool? I got to stay hip and cool with the teens, which me saying hip and cool probably tells you that I'm actually not that hip and cool. But <laughs> it was fun to, to kind of stay up to date with the industry as well. Also, seeing all the young adult books coming out, I got to kind of get an idea that there wasn't exactly a story like the story that I wanted to write. I, I didn't see any books on the shelves that was exactly like Thieves' Gambit that had this adventurous around the world premise, but focused on characters of color. So just being aware of everything that was in the industry uh, because of my job kind of also gave me an end to see the, the story that I wanted to write to fit into the industry. That's so interesting, KVN, because I talked to an author once who worked in a bookstore and said that he said something similar is that he, by working in a bookstore, he really, it was a training ground for knowing not only what was published, but how it was resonating with people and then where he fit into that kind of storytelling ecosystem. I love that word training ground, a library. Tra it makes it sound so intense. Working in <laughs> I, I, yeah. Well, you know, I'm executive director of NaNoWriMo, so I make everything sound a little intense. That's just part of my job. <laughs> Well, to close, speaking of NaNoWriMo, uh, people are about to embark on this high-octane writing experiment process challenge. Uh, so I'm curious if you can, if what's your favorite writing advice? What would you like to tell them to help them get through those 30 days and 50,000 words? Write the story that sets your heart on fire. That's the lesson that I learned going from writing that story at first and then not writing that story for eight books and then finally coming back to it. You should be writing the story that even though if you're going to have the hard days behind all of that, it's the story that you really want to tell. Don't write for anybody else. At the end of the day, write for yourself first. That is perfect advice. Thank you so much. That is what everybody needs to hear, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the meme we're going to do for NaNoWriMo, among others. Uh, write what sets your heart on fire. I mean, so beautifully said. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and uh, letting me ramble about writing a little bit. <laughs> and thank you for doing everything you do with NaNoWriMo. I, I love NaNo. I want to participate this year. We're going to look for you. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, KVN, and good luck. Thank you. We'll be right back with today's book trend after this short break.
Well, if there's a book trend that's going to rival AI for the number of mentions on this show, it's going to be Amazon Grant because <laughs> Amazon has a way of making news with authors. And recently, Amazon made a big change in their category system, really formalizing their separation from the old school way of doing publishing categories by untethering themselves from BISAC codes and instead allowing authors and big caveat here, we're talking about self-published authors only to choose their Amazon categories. And so you go in to the back end of your KDP account, if you're a self-published author, and there you can select three categories that align with the categories that you actually find when you search on Amazon. I'm always curious about this divide between traditional authors and indie authors, Brooke. So I'm curious why this only affects self-published authors. Yeah, it's because traditionally published authors and authors who have hybrid publishers with distribution are still tethered to this BISAC system. BISAC are the industry codes. Um, it's a categorization system. And so when publishers choose BISAC categories for their books, uh, those automatically translate into Amazon categories, but it's very behind the curtain. <laughs> like We don't really know when we're choosing the BISAC categories necessarily which Amazon categories they're going to land in. Uh, and sometimes this can actually put traditionally published authors at a disadvantage with Amazon because it's not always possible to exactly nail what category an author wants. Uh, and certainly this has been a personal frustration to me over the year, uh, over the years rather. And so this is, um, you know, just an interesting change for Amazon and one that gives self-published authors more control. And as I said, um, an advantage, which I think is something that Amazon is always looking to do. I'm going to reveal myself as a, as a rube when it comes to publishing <laughs> matters. Uh, what, what's the importance of these categories? Why do they matter? Yeah, it's an important question. Um, categories are mainly important for discoverability. And that BISAC system that I mentioned has been around since the 1990s as the primary way that the book industry categorizes books. That acronym, by the way, stands for Book Industry Standards and Communications, just to satiate curiosity. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, people always ask. Um, but really, categories are so much more important to book publishing than a lot of authors realize. Uh, the head of marketing at Seal Press many years ago told me that BISACs are as important as assigning gender at birth. And she was trying to impress upon me how important it was to get the BISACs right. And the categorization in book publishing you know, is, is a big deal. It affects everything from where a book gets shelved to what buyer buys it. Uh, to how a reader finds your book, to positioning. And so there's just a lot of parts to the process that may sometimes be hidden to authors, but which are very important to the industry. Yeah, that's really interesting. I appreciate the tutorial. And, <laughs> and this trend, actually, just for listeners, um, this trend surfaced for us because of a post by, by Dave Chesson at Kindlepreneur. And Dave was a guest on our show not too long ago. And he does lay out some problems with this change and, and ways to make sure you don't make mistakes, notably by choosing what he calls ghost categories, which are categories that you can't get ranked in on Amazon because they essentially don't exist. And so so Dave is, is really a wealth of information for, for indie authors, so we want to make sure to to highlight uh, that site and we'll put his post about Amazon categories in the show notes. Yeah, agreed. It, it's helpful for any author to be paying attention to this stuff, though. You know, like indie authors or self-published authors, whatever you define yourself as, um, you know, I, I 
think that some authors, you know, are very much attuned to this stuff and a little bit problematically, sometimes traditionally published authors or authors with distribution can get uh, focused on KDP and what KDP can do for them. And then of course we don't use KDP. So that's a little bit of a, of a challenge. Um, but, you know, and also the other thing I want to say is that BISAC does not communicate well with Amazon. So of course, like leave it to book publishing to have systems that don't talk to each other. The flow of information in this industry can be really complicated. Um, but that's why it's important for authors to know what's going on and to educate yourself about all this stuff so that you can try to stay ahead of it. Yeah. Well, this conversation is definitely galvanizing to me because I've, I've honestly been putting so much energy into writing my books and then doing things like bookstore events or posting on social media that I think I'm, I'm falling behind on some of these more technical or wonky sides of publishing, which are, as you said, important to know about, especially because I want authors to be more in control of their books, not less. And that happens to be what right mind is all about we want to help you be the best creator you can be so please keep listening and i wanted to to part by asking you one favor i was just on spotify the other day and i noticed they now have a ranking or a star system so if you could give us a ranking on on spotify and they also if you click into an episode they have a little uh, comment box so you can leave comments and questions for us we'd love to hear from you thanks so much 